What the Actual Fork podcast is co-hosted by two intuitive eating registered dietitians, yours truly, Sammy Previtt, owner of Fine Food Freedom, and Jenna Warner, owner of Happy Strong Healthy. We can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real. Our mission is for all humans to believe that they are made for so much more than chasing a smaller body. We are also here to share with you that food can be fun and pleasurable again. Although we are medical professionals, we are human too. We are not afraid to share our deepest, darkest secrets and how years of our lives were taken by diet culture. We started this podcast so no human has to feel alone in their journey towards food freedom. So get comfy and join us for a casual convo where you can expect to laugh, cry, learn, and grow. Welcome back to another episode of What the Actual Fork Podcast. We had Miss Jennifer Anderson on the podcast today, who is a registered dietitian, mom of two exciting boys, and the founder of Kids Eat in Color with nearly 2 million, yes, I said that right, 2 million <laughs> followers on social media and millions more visiting the website each year. Kids Eat in Color is the world's leading resource for parents helping to get their kids on the path to eating better without mealtime battles. I mean, I think you said this to start the episode, but Jennifer is hands down the most famous dietitian that we have interviewed. Um, and we got to hear her story of how that started and what post was the one that got the most views and, you know, how she's grown this enormous business. And what we learned when we were off air too, is that this business that she has, has consulted with some of our friend dietitians too. Hi, Andy and Desi. Very cool to see you on that website. Um, it was just such an incredible conversation. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> well, I think she was really like, she really truly is like the OG of helping, you know, help parents with picky eaters. And like, I think you said, I forget if this was on or off air, but like the side by side on Instagram, mm -hmm. she was like one of the first ones to do it, like not related to diet culture where it was like <laughs> calorie counts and macros, but it was more like helpful verbiage and just tips and tricks and so it was just so cool to talk with a dietitian that has truly an empire of a multidisciplinary team of, what was she saying? Pediatricians, occupational therapists, dietitians, yes. like just if you have a picky eater, if you want to have children someday in the Welcome back to another episode of What the Actual Fork Podcast. Today, I think we have our most famous registered dietitian we've ever had on the podcast today. We're super excited. Thank you so much for being here, Jennifer Anderson. It's so wonderful to be here. We're so excited. So excited. Freaking so, out. Yes. And I'm sure, I'm sure we're going to say your Instagram handle like 500 times throughout this episode. But for those who don't already follow, which I'm sure many of our listeners already do, um, but Jennifer's Instagram is kids eat and color. And we're, we, we always like to start our episodes with this question. And I'm really excited to hear your answer, Jennifer, because I've always known you as kids eat and color. Um, but how did you get to where you are today, both whether it's professionally or personally, were you always like focused on this aspect of nutrition? 
Um, so if anything you can share with us, you can take 30 seconds, 30 minutes, however much time you want to take answering this question. We would love Sounds to good. know your journey. Yeah. So I did not start in kids nutrition. I was, I actually did kind of public health nutrition. My background is in public health first, and then I became a registered dietitian. Someone told me, Hey, if you want to be an expert in nutrition, you have to become a registered dietitian. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, then I learned like a lot of people go work in a hospital and I thought, oh, that's not for me. Um, so I, I actually started doing uh, consulting to the USDA for their SNAP, national SNAP ed program. And um, then I had kids and then turns out feeding kids is tricky. I didn't, I wasn't expecting that. I didn't know that my first son had a lot of growth issues and so, I changed gears. I was like, okay, I got to become a child feeding dietitian. And that's really where I was. Um, my son was three. He was getting ready to go to preschool. I was making him these cute little lunches, trying to engage him in some way. And I thought to myself, you know, I can't be the only parent struggling feeding my child. And I, I had been thinking about it for a while. I was like, maybe I should start a blog or something. And then someone suggested I start an Instagram account. And I thought that sounds perfect. I'll do that. I'll try to connect with other parents because obviously I have a lot of training in this area. I've done a lot of research. I have the credentials to back it up, but a lot of other parents are just kind of left with no tools. So that's where Kids in Color came from. Cute little lunches that I was posting and writing feeding tips in the captions. So I did that for a year and a half, and then I changed the way that I educated people visually through the posts. And then all of a sudden, the game changed <laughs> significantly. And I mean, at that time, though, I was probably spending 30, 40 hours a week doing Instagram because by then, that was a year and a half in, I had really found people. I had found people. I was helping parents. And I couldn't leave my people. So it left me in a very awkward position of two kids, two jobs, not, not having any way to leave my job, but also not being able to leave my people. And I had 10,000 followers and it's tricky to, you know, leave your job um, when you have an audience and of 10,000 people and nothing to offer them. <laughs> So, so yeah, so then I, then my account began to grow exponentially and, and I thought, okay, I can make this happen. My husband is finishing his PhD. I began to think of what I may be able to offer my audience that would solve their problems. And then next thing, you know, by the end of that year, I had quit my job. So I quit my job actually in early, early, early 2020. Wow. I had no idea that you were working like I just like, and again, that's such a social media thing of just like seeing, oh yeah, she's like over a million followers. She must've been doing this forever, but it right. is so cool to hear your story. And like you said, give your audience what they need. It is, I know, I know Jenna, I can't wait to pass the mic to you. Cause I saw her just nodding so much <laughs> of like, cause I know she's connecting to a ton of what you're saying, but you, you are not the only parent struggling clearly because of how many people you have in your corner. Right. 
Yeah. Was it like one post where it went from 10,000 to 1.2 million? Like how does that happen? No. <laughs> no. Although there is one post that has played a significant amount of <laughs> and played a significant role in the account. And that is um actually a post I just posted it last night again. It's called How to Talk. And it basically ex exposes parents that. to the idea that instead of forcing or you know, words like this is healthy, you should eat this, it will make you strong. These sort of off the cuff things that we think to say to kids, instead of saying that, we can actually give them useful information. Like red foods help your heart. That is a simplified nutrition message, but to a preschooler, it makes a lot of sense. So we don't have to break down how lycopene affects, you know, the heart long term, but we can say to kids, red helps your heart. And I think people really, really latched on to that idea. It really resonates because they're thinking, oh yeah, healthy doesn't really mean anything in, the, in terms of talking about foods, but red helping your heart, that is something that means something. If I eat an apple, that could do X, Y, Z, right? So I think there's a lot of curiosity about what foods do in your body and how to actually talk to kids about them. And that post has, has reached millions and millions of people. I feel like that post also helps adults. Like there's a lot of people that don't know that, right? Like right. they look at, they think salad is healthy. They don't think green food helps me fight off sickness. So I feel like that post is multidimensional. Right. <laughs> you know, a huge chunk of followers who don't have children and they may have children one day or they may never have children, but they have said that it helps them re-understand what, foods do in their body, as opposed to thinking that every food is, is like calories in or calories out. It's going to make me gain weight or make me lose weight. There's so much stuff around food. And a lot of people are looking for something else. They're like, I don't want to be a part of that anymore. And this is giving them a framework. They're able to go back to their two-year-old self and say, Hey, red foods help your heart and leave it at that. And I think we had Dr. Taylor Arnold on, um, who we love her account as well. And we talked a little bit about this, what, what that kind of all connects to is if people want to grow, you know, healthy, intuitive eaters that have a positive relationship with food. Well, if you're a parent, we have to look at what is your relationship with food? Like, so just like how Je Jenna said, like this post definitely resonates with a lot of adults because how many adults are walking around with disordered, you know, eating or disordered relationships with food. So, I mean, I think the better question is how many adults aren't <laughs> very few. It's just pervasive. It's, it's so pervasive that we can't even tell if we have it or not. We just automatically think, oh, you can't ever have dessert before you have dinner or oh, I can never let you eat two cookies, my child. Or we have these messages and we don't realize where they came from or how they're affecting us or our kids. So I am in the phase right now. My baby turns six months on Saturday. So we're oh. recording this in July. Um, and so I'm in the phase right now where I'm slowly starting to introduce just new foods, right? Just flavor. We waited. Um, the doctors do still say that you can give food at four months. I don't know what your opinion is on that, but as a dietitian, I was just not ready. Um, and so anyways, 
I'm watching the faces now, like something like banana. I waited until like the fourth food introduction to do banana because I thought it would be a home run. And I'm watching the face like, what the F is this? I don't, I feel, I don't in front of you. I don't know why. I feel like I can't. Um, but I'm like watching his face like, what is this? This is so weird and bizarre. And like, it's just fascinating to watch a human being try things for the first time and hate everything. Yeah. <laughs> like, but you like this formula that literally, literally smells like throw up to me. Right. <laughs> like a banana. He's making this face like, Ugh. Um, and the same thing with avocado. We tried carrots, like all the things. Um, so, I mean, I'm just curious to hear from your perspective, does the introduction of food from a small age, like carry through? as the kids get older or am I okay? Yeah, you know, (laughs) yes, yes and no. I feel like at at any time a kid can become picky and it can be kind of the slippery slope to never never eating veggies again. Um, But we do know that there is a key period, the zero to three period, even the zero to two period, where the more foods they are exposed to, the more likely they are to eat those foods long-term. Again, it doesn't mean that if you wean one sort of way, you are guaranteed to have one sort of eater. There is that message out there right now. And it's kind of, it, it is getting out there in such a way that I think it's disadvantaging some people in terms of like thinking long-term about what's going to happen, happen. Because yeah, you can expose yourself, your baby to a hundred foods in the first year, which is kind of like a trending thing to do. hundred foods in the first year. Okay, that's that's fine. That's great. If you're able to do that, there is nothing wrong with that. If you're able to, actually do that. Um, I personally never had the time resources to be able to do that, but that's fine. The thing is, that does not guarantee that your baby will continue to eat those hundred foods plus everything else over the long haul. But what we really want to do is getting kids eating the most textures, the most colors, the most foods that we can based on our life and just continue to expose those over time. Because yeah, banana may have been the grossest thing he's ever tasted today. It's slimy. There's a lot of things going on with banana. Um, He may learn that, I don't know if it's mashed up, but he may learn um, that he could hold it in his hand and feed it to himself. And then suddenly it's very exciting, right? And there's so many different experiences. And if you eat a banana, that's not all mushed up. It's not quite as slimy. So there's all kinds of things that he has yet to experience that may help him learn to eat banana over time. The key is, this is the key of anything. You fed it to him once. He had made a face. That doesn't mean anything. That just meant he had banana once and he made a face. Often his parents were like, oh my gosh, He made a face. He doesn't like it. It's the worst thing he ever had. I'm not going to serve it again. Just let that go. That is easy. That's an easy thought pattern. It's understandable, but also it's not helpful. Instead, we just need to remember, he ate it. He made a face. I'm going to serve it again. He ate it. He made a face. I'm going to serve it again. And I'm going to keep serving it as my family eats bananas until he graduates from my house, whenever that is, <laughs> right? We can't give up on these things. That's so helpful. I tried a frozen too, and like one of those feeders and it was like, 
on the floor. And I'm like, okay, so we're going to try again tomorrow. Again, this is intuitive eating. We're all born intuitive eaters, right? Like you didn't want it. It's, on the floor. <laughs> it's just right. so fun to watch, but it, I can see too, having no background in nutrition, how overwhelming this whole process can be for a parent. Um, it's overwhelming for me and mm-hmm. I have some education in it. And so I know that you have a lot of resources on the overwhelmed mom as well, which we need all of our listeners to go to your website to see. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of nutrition brands out there, right? There's a lot of places to get your parenting advice. If you're the sort of parent who feels overwhelmed and really like you don't have the capacity that you wish you had, then Kids Eating Color is for you because we're the sort of group of people and it's me, but it's also the occupational therapists we have, the psychologists we have, the education, child education specialists we have. Kids Eating Color is a team of people that deeply believe that parents are doing a good job, even when they're at their worst, right? So you may be depressed. You may have postpartum depression. You may be completely overwhelmed with your kid, feeding your kid, this, that, or the other thing, but we don't ever judge parents. And we really say, okay, where are you at? We can help you. We can help you if you're at the bottom. I've been at the bottom before I've been feeding my kids, you know, Cheerios for dinner. Um, that's, that's pretty painful as a dietitian because <laughs> honestly Cheerios alone is not a balanced meal. And I think most most parents understand that but sometimes that's the best you can do and that's okay. And we'll meet you. We'll meet you there, you know, and when you have a little more capacity, then we have the real easy weekdays meal plan, which is now what makes my life livable. And that's just really, really practical. Hey, here's how you can feed your family without so much of a brain load. I love what you just said. There is no judgment. And I think that comes back to the basis of intuitive eating. We always are saying with clients, like you are doing the best that you can with the resources that you have in that moment and giving ourselves that grace that like, it's okay. Like it's okay. If you're like serving Cheerios for dinner, that's better than nothing. Right. And Mm -hmm. keep going from there. But I love how you kind of started with that zero to three or even zero to two phase and just keep reintroducing, keep reintroducing. So I would love to kind of take that next step when we get really into toddlers and a little older, um, let's say three plus with some picky eaters. And I started thinking, and I know Jenna is going to laugh at this, but we used to work at a grocery store chain as dietitians and we used to do kids cooking classes. And it was so interesting because a big part of what we did was expose these kids to different foods and um, make fun recipes, use colors, like really get them engaged. And I'll never forget this time I had a parent kind of hawking over the child and they were kind of like hitting away. They're like, you're not going to eat that. That has beans in it. Stop. Like you don't like beans. (laughs) And for everyone listening, Jennifer is making faces right now, (laughs) but I would love for you to using that scenario, how can parents, if we have picky eaters, toddler phase, right? What are some of your biggest tips of do's and don'ts of verbiage, just things that you can do to help engage your kids and help them to overcome the picky eating. 
Sure. So in this case, and I'm laughing because it's so classic for parents to decide for their kid, whether their kid likes it or not ahead of time. So they're saying things like, oh, you're going to hate that. You can change that around and just not say anything and give your child a chance to eat it. Because if it is a cooking demonstration, the novelty of it may encourage them to try it. And also if there's other kids around, they're more likely to try it. So there's a lot of things. We often get it in our minds and it goes back to the baby. The baby didn't like banana. Well, the baby chose not to eat banana that one time, but the longer you're with that baby, the more you'll see that the baby is completely unpredictable. And the toddler is completely unpredictable because one day they will say they love the banana. And then the next day they will say that you're the worst parent on the planet for even having a banana in the kitchen. So there's, you know, we really need to take some of the emotion out of it and say, okay, this is a banana. I'm going to cook it, cook it in the house. This is what's going on. Right. Now, when we do start to see that picky eating, when we start to see kids say, oh, I'm not going to eat that, our best tool is to pretend like we don't care, really, and to just keep serving meals. Now, as parents, we do want to be responsive to our kids, and we want to make sure we know exactly what they're serving or exactly what they are most likely to eat. So as a parent, I know generally what this kid will eat and what that kid will eat generally, right? Because we never really know what the kids will decide to eat. So I would make sure that at every meal and snack that I make, there's at least one food that each of them like generally. And when that happens, then I don't have to care. I know that there's a food. I know they can fill up on it. I can expose all the rest of the meal. I can have a meal this whole meal that the family will eat, even if one person decides just to eat the bread, the meal is still there. It's still on the table. They're still getting the exposures. We're still moving forward. And that's, that's, we have a free picky eater guide actually that we offer parents that kind of talks about how do you navigate meal times? How do you re work to stop, start reversing picky eating? Now I, I like to stay away from the idea that we can prevent picky eating because yes, we can in some senses, but no, we can't in other senses. So when we say something is preventable, it often means that there is something that you could have done. Everybody could have done this thing to stop it. There's some things that you could have done. And for some people that would have stopped it for a lot of other people wouldn't have stopped it. So, um, so I just like to make that distinction, but we do help parents when you've got a picky eater, the reality is I don't care how they got there, but the reality is what are you going to do? Can you stop enabling that picky eating? Can you do some things that help your child try new foods? That's what our picky eater guide is all about. And it's free. I forgot my hand raised, but oh, I think one of the coolest posts that I've seen you share, and I think you've shared this in a, a couple different ways, um, is along the lines of why kids are more apt to go for a cookie versus fruit. And I have it up over here. Why, why your child won't eat blueberries. And I think like, again, this is so important for adults, picky adults to hear too, that 
it's the consistency of flavor. Like an Oreo always tastes like an Oreo. It's safe, quote unquote, for some people because it's consistent. But when it comes to fruit, like there's honestly nothing worse than like biting into a mushy watermelon, right? <laughs> but like when a watermelon's good, it's the best. But right. like putting yourself in the kids' shoes and understanding that they won't always taste the same. To me, that was like a mind blowing wow, like I never thought of that. And for everybody listening in the post you have on slide two, like having the kids sort, you know, what does it taste like sour versus sweet versus in the middle. And I just think that if we can start thinking out of the box, like you do um, when it comes to food, like this is just like mind blowing as far as how it can help people overcome some of these inconsistencies in their diet. Um, I just, I love that. And yeah, I would be curious true. to I mean, know so how that came. <laughs> right. There's so many techniques that we can use to help kids with their picky eating, learn to try new foods. And this is what, these are some of the things that we actually recommend in our Better Bites program. Better Bites is for families who have a picky eater. You've got a picky eater, you're pulling your hair out. You feel like you need some help. We're here for you. So that's what that program is. But it really teaches, you know, we can't expect picky eaters to outgrow picky eating. Some will, some will not. You don't necessarily know which one you have. Left to their own devices, at least 25% of picky eaters are not going to outgrow it. We all know adult picky eaters, some on various severities. Um, so it's unlikely, well, we just should not assume that our child will or will not grow it. But we can do things now to stop enabling the picky eating to, and to actually do things like this blueberry exercise where we're actually doing a tasting exercise. Now, if you have an extreme picky eater, I wouldn't start with this. This is along the road to picky eating, as we call it. This would be a tasting exercise, whereas we prefer, at least in Better Bites, to start with looking at exercises. You can look at the different sizes of blueberries or smell them but before we get to the tasting, we do a lot of work. And then when we get to the tasting, what we're trying to do when we're having the kids taste the blueberry and sort them is in a very non-judgmental, non-pressure way, we are giving them the opportunity to have, do a fun experience. And we are helping them put it into a category. We are trying to make that experience less extreme to them. We're going to taste this blueberry. Is it sour? Is it sweet? We're trying to engage their logical mind as well as their emotions. They sort it. Then the next one, and they throughout this experiment, they are learning some blueberries are sour and they don't like them. Or maybe I learned, hey, sour isn't that bad. And then other blueberries are sweet. And that's interesting. I like those or I don't like those. Who knows? And so they're learning over time. Yes, some are sour. Yes, some are sweet. This is what I like. This is what I don't. We're exposing them to those flavors. But this is the sort of work that it takes if you have an extreme picky eater, right? Now, if you have a less extreme picky eater, somebody who's just maybe kind of more typically picky or something like that, you might be able to move to this tasting exercise much sooner and it won't be as big of a deal for that child. So good. Thank you. <laughs> it reminds me kind of what you're experience or talking about to some of these experiences is like the exposure therapy with eating disorder, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like overcoming these fears of 
you know, before we even start tasting food, like, can we have it in the room? Can, can it be there and not have that anxiety heightened or feel pressure to eat the food? So obviously picky eating and eating disorder, very different, but interesting Mm -hmm. to hear how that exposure therapy is still, you know, a part of that conversation. Um, yeah. I mean, once your body realizes that food is a threat, there's a lot to overcome and a lot of picky eaters, parents often think that picky eating is a character defect. And I understand where that comes from. You know, a lot of us were raised in that way. It can be tricky. The problem is they think, oh, it doesn't matter if you're scared of it, just eat it, just get over your fear. But what they don't realize is there's a a whole biological thing taking place, this fight or flight, this anxiety, your throat is constricting, your body is making less saliva, you can't think Mm. clearly, you can't smell as much, you can't taste as much, you cannot digest properly because your body isn't making digestive juices in the way that it would because it's ready to run away, right? Mm -hmm. And so by pressuring your child to eat, and to quote, get over their fear or whatever it is, you're making it more difficult for them to physically eat. And that just makes the whole thing worse. I talked to a dad recently who said, yeah, I remember my parents forcing me to eat lettuce when I was a child. He's like, I could feel my throat constricting. I felt it in my mouth. I crunched it with my teeth and it was so horrible that I threw up. He threw up all over the table. It was just like a horrible experience for him. And it's because of this anxiety reaction that the food is eliciting. And we gotta, we gotta help kids step back from that. You know, I don't want a kid throwing up a bite of some food. I mean, now he won't eat lettuce and it's no surprise. (laughs) Yes. I'm curious now, Sam, about when we would take kids like through the grocery store, like for picky eaters, like when we worked in the grocery store, part of that cooking class was like finding the foods in the aisles sometimes. Like, I wonder, is that as really overwhelming and probably something that we shouldn't do <laughs> in future or well, I think is that type of I think less, less overwhelming that that's where I would start. I would start with something that's fun. It's part of an activity but they're finding a food. Do they have to touch it? If they mm-hmm. wanted to. Yeah. yeah. More like so, a I mean, to me, that's a low pressure activity that's fun. They're not tasting, they're not smelling. They're, they're just kind of interacting and maybe the least sensory um, way possible, you know? <laughs> like picking up a box of pasta or picking up an apple can put some kids over the edge, but those are the much more extreme picky eaters. Yeah. And it's almost like, I feel like it's like exposure therapy, just being in the supermarket (laughs) alone, right. Just surrounded by food. So, um, one post I kind of want to, we can wrap soon because we don't want to take too much of your time here, but I, I, you said this earlier and it really stuck out. And I think it, it can be really helpful for parents with picky eaters is trying to not bring your own emotion into it. And you have a post here saying, um, you know, we, some parents can feel like their child is disrespecting them by mm-hmm. not eating the food, but you just did such an amazing job of explaining like the emotional response and biological responses that are going on inside of these children or these picky eaters 
they're not thinking about, oh yeah, I'm going to disrespect my parents and not eat it. Right. Like that's not going through their head. So part of this is realizing as you know, the parent to, to do some work too, right. Of removing that belief system that your child is disrespecting you. Can you touch right. on any tips that could Yeah, I think a that? lot of us were raised in an environment where if you want to respect somebody, you have to eat everything that they made. And we're not really suggesting that you have teach your child to be rude or you know, to never eat anything that they don't like. But I have so I have one child who's who's not that picky, but he tends to not eat very much. And that child, I could say to that child, if you go to a friend's house, you need to eat what they make. And that would be fine. And I think that's a social convention. That's fine. At the same time, he knows, you know, if there's something that looks really uncomfortable to you, you could either say no, thank you, or you could put a very small amount on your plate if you want to try it. And just teaching kids those social graces of how to say no in a socially acceptable way and to advocate for themselves simultaneously. Um, my other son is extremely, is much more picky. And for him, it would be a real struggle to go to somebody else's house and to just eat everything that was there, right? So for him, I have to work much more on those skills of no thank you, it looks so beautiful, you know, kind of honoring the person who served the food without actually eating the food. And these things are very tricky, right? Because every culture, every family is different. At the same time, especially as his parent, it is my job to teach him to advocate for himself, to be able to listen to his body. And if his body is saying, I cannot eat that, then he needs to be able to advocate for that in a polite and kind way. I have to teach him that. And the best way to teach him that is by allowing him to say no to what is served at the table in a way that is polite and kind. We're still working on the polite and kind part. <laughs> but I will say this. I will say this. We we're big on saying don't yuck on somebody else's yum because that, that can be really offensive and hurtful to other people. Um, and we recently met my brother and his partner. They and she made this amazing Korean barbecue. And as part of that meal, there was kimchi and also some pickles. And my son, my more selective son, put one of these pickles on his plate. I don't know what he thought it was. Obviously he didn't know what it was because he tasted a bite and I looked at him and I saw the panic. I saw the panic in his eyes. He looked at me, but he also looked around at everybody else who was there. And he just looked at me and I saw his eyes start to water. And I said, okay, come with me. And we went into the other room and he spit it out into my hand, but he didn't say, this is disgusting. This is gross. He didn't spit it out in front of people. I was amazed because at home he's been going through a phase where he's like, oh, that's disgusting. I'm not going to eat that. And I'm thinking this training that we've done, but this is where it displayed, right? When he was there with the other people, instead of making a show of it, he he came to me, we found a way to deal with it. And he was able to move on uh, without disrespecting the people who had cooked. 
that I love all of the ways that what you're saying can tie into adults as well. And I know because <laughs> Jenna and I work from like primarily with adults who have extreme disordered eating or years of dieting. And I'm thinking of like our refuse not eaters who in social situations just can't say no because they feel this undenying pressure to eat everything that's served to them, even if they don't want it. Mm-hmm. And so it's just so cool to see you working on these social skills with your kids at such a young age where I think about, you know, maybe not the exact same thing of what we're talking about with intuitive eaters, but it's, it's all of these skills around food. Nobody thinks like the people we're working with now, they didn't have those skills being taught to them. And so it's just so cool to hear you talk about it from such a young age. And it's tricky as parents, because we want our kids to eat. We (laughs) want our kids to thrive. We don't want to, to make grow. multiple meals. <laughs> we want them to grow. We, we don't want to make multiple meals. And I, I highly recommend not making multiple meals. But there's a lot of things that intuitively to us don't feel right. It doesn't feel right to let our child not choose to eat dinner. That doesn't feel good in any way, shape, or form. But we weren't raised in that way. So it's never going to feel good to us. But I feel like kids leave food on their plate all the time and not feel bad about it. Right. And we, there's a lot of strategies that we have to minimize food waste. And often my husband and I were, will choose to eat their portions instead of serving ourselves more. Um, that's both a, a, just a parent thing and also a food waste thing, but there are, those are skills that you have to learn early. If you were always taught to clean your plate, you're always going to clean your plate. You know, right. it's still hard for me to leave food on my plate because, you know, we, I, came from a family. We did not have a lot of food resources. We did not have a lot of money and wasting food was a really big problem. You are grooming the next generation of eaters right now with skills that, I mean, it's, it's just amazing. And Sam said it so eloquently and well, all I have left to say is thank you (laughs) 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 because it's so incredible and inspiring. And I also just want to thank you for your vulnerability and sharing that, you know, you have picky eaters at home still, even though you're helping millions of people, you know, fight the same fight. I think as dietitians and moms and human beings, like it's really hard to come to terms with that sometimes. And I used to joke that like my kid will never eat a vegetable because I love vegetables. And like, now I have a kid. I'm like, that's not a funny joke. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> funny. Like, when push comes to shove, like it's not going to be funny. Like, yeah. you know, um, so thank you for sharing you're all that you share. <laughs> I mean, I think when you're, when you are doing anything in life, whether you're online, whether you have a social media presence, whether you're building a company, whether you're doing things in your community, it's really at your worst point that you find the thing that you have to offer, right? So, you know, feeding kids has not been easy for me at any point. It's still not easy for me. (laughs) I never said it would be easy. All, you know, kids in color doesn't say that feeding kids is easy. Although we do offer things that make it a little easier for sure. We don't promise it's going to be easy. We do promise that we'll be there with you because sometimes what we need is just someone else who's like, oh yeah, I get it. And so many people have said, 
Well, I just think about the fact that you fed your kids Cheerios for dinner and, and at least I did a little better than that with chicken nuggets, <laughs> you know, and that made me feel good. But it always feels good to know that there are people with expertise who are struggling. And the more that we can not pretend like we have everything together and we fit, feed our kids perfectly, whatever that is. And we do everything, we use every single best practice at every single point. We got to get away from that idea because real people can't follow all the best practices at all the times, you know? And the more that we can help people understand that, you know, it's, it's okay to do the best practices you can do now. And when you have more capacity later, you can do some more and that's okay. I love that. Mm. I feel like that is such a good place to like wrap where just everyone knowing like, it's okay. <laughs> you are enough. Okay. That's what I hear. Yes, <laughs> you are doing enough. <laughs> um, so Jennifer, for everyone listening who, if they, didn't hear the Instagram handle in the beginning, where can they find you? And is there anything for people that want to get started? Like where's a good starting place with your resources as well? Sure. So kidsingcolor.com is a great place to go. You get the free picky eater guide there. You can find the meal plans if you're really struggling to feed your family. If you do have a picky eater, uh, the Better Bites program is, or a course, whatever you want to call it, that is what we have for you, but kidsincolor.com. And then of course you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest. Actually, we don't have Twitter. Why did I say that? <laughs> There's so many now. It's just like, all um, those two tweets that I wrote, you can go find them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Instagram is where we mostly live, but you know, Facebook, TikTok, all those things were there too. Awesome. Kids eat in color. Thank you so much for being here with us, Jennifer. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of What the Actual Fork Pod. We know there are a lot of pods out there and we are so grateful that you are here listening with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, share with all your friends and faves and follow along with us on social at what the actual fork pod. We promise to continue to bring you the hottest topics, greatest guests, and the most fun you can possibly have while fighting diet culture bullshit. We love you. We appreciate you. And we will see you next week for a lot more fun.